0: Some of you, I'm the I'm the pastor here. It's, I've been here. I couldn't remember exactly which Sunday it was last year, but it's been 12 months, which is crazy to think about, right? It's been a um, interesting. Oh well. <laughs> it's been a rather interesting year, as we know. But uh, as the world is normalizing, we become excited for the things that are. Ahead, and Just a quick note on uh, the process that our church is undergoing and just a couple of things is, you know, what we're doing here is really trying to bring revitalization and newness of life here. It's I was just sitting here thinking, just singing, how great is our God and thinking that since the 1860s there has been a service happening in the congregation of this church, unbroken praises to Jesus Christ in the city of Wilmington for that long. Um, Very unusual thing for churches to really survive that many years, and here we are. And the season we're in is a season where we get to say, how how do we continue this church into another 150 years of ministry? It's a very uh, unique thing to be a part of. It makes me excited for that. I hope that you are excited as well as all of your hands and your feet and your prayers and you yourself we're, you're needed in this process. Um, if you've been here and traveling with us and you're kind of new to this church and you really you know want to get further involved here in the family of our church and to the community of our church, um, uh, all we can ask for is patience in the fall, post-September um, 12th or so. Um, you'll see a lot of new things happening here and uh, uh, very direct and permanent opportunities to begin cultivating a deep family life here at our church and community here at our church. And so um, it's coming, and all we can ask for is patience uh, and stick around on events like this afternoon just to be with one another, to to hang out, have some good lighthearted time with one another. But good things are ahead. Continue to pray. We are very excited for all that is coming. If you have um, a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 16. And if you have the Red Pew Bible in front of you, it is on page 70. We've been working on this summer, throughout the summer, um, in a sermon series, which we're calling God, Life, and Our Expectations. And we're talking about prayer this morning, expectations of prayer. When we pray, what are we doing I mean, hope for, for some of us. I've, I've sat with some of you and, you know, asked just for, for help. For almost like your tutelage, like teach me how to pray. I know that I, I need to learn how to grow in prayer. Um, more than probably half of you in this room. Like, I, I want to be a person of prayer. I want to get to the point where prayer is just kind of like the the air that I breathe. It's just kind of flowing in and flowing out of me throughout my day. I know some of you have that kind of life of prayer, and it's been cultivated throughout many years. And so, even if prayer is something that's that you know uh, uh, common in our life to where it's almost we don't even think about it to the rest of us who we want to pray, we know we should pray, and it's not as present as it should be. Or for maybe some of those who, you know, aren't yet Christians, but are kind of, you know, uh, I, well, for example, you know, um, whenever I ask, you know, people, a, a family, a person I meet who, you know, they don't find themselves in appeal on Sundays, and, and they're sharing something with me, and um, it usually comes. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like to tell people I'm a pastor initially because some people they get really weirded out, and they don't know how to respond, and they get all you know weird and standoffish, and I'm just like. Oh. You know, it's, it can be frustrating. But usually people, you know, eventually start warming up, and then they think that, like, I'm the priest, and have start confessing their sins or something, like, immediately. And so they start going into, like, all their, you know, things and problems or whatever it might be. And I was like, well, I would love to pray for you. And, and I, I never am denied that. I don't care if it's the most skeptical of people or not. I've never once been told, like, oh, no, no, don't pray for me. At minimum, it's always like, ah, eh, wouldn't hurt. Right? And that's kind of a general posture. I was looking and scouring news articles just with the word prayer, you know, just seeing where does prayer pop up in our in our culture. It usually pops up in our culture with like an Indiana Jones moment. All right, uh, the, you know the um, the Last Crusade, right? Am I blanking on my Indiana Jones movie titles? This is crazy. Um, yeah, the third one and the last, yeah, the last crusade. You know, he's famous, he's went through the trials, you know, and the early trials at the end of the movie, he's, you know, dodging the, the blade thing and he's stepping on the right, you know, he's working his way through and it's great, but he gets to a point where, you know, this famous leap of faith where he looks in front of him and he's trying to get to the Holy Grail and there's this big abyss. And he realizes, he's like, I, I can't do this one, right? And he looks at this little book and it has somebody, you know, walking him across the abyss and he's forced to say, my effort, I, I can't do this on my own, I have to have faith. And I think that our culture, it embraces prayer when it gets into, you know, national catastrophes or hurricanes or, you know, I saw one article about a, a girl in a, in a community that was born with a very extremely rare form of cancer as a child. And, and when our society is brought to those brinks, they say, I don't, I don't know what else, but aside from some kind of supernatural miracle, now we're going to pray, Right? Um, And that's where we, but we pray, ultimately, whether you're a Christian who prays all the time or somebody like in our society says there's nothing, there's no other options left. We just got to pray now for a miracle. We pray because we need help. I don't care who you are, eventually you will realize that you are a human being just like the rest of us. Whether you're the leader of nations or, you know, a three-year-old inside of a bed. All of us need help. We are not sufficient in ourselves. And sooner or later, we come to that realization, and we have to, we, we, we say, we need help. We need help. But when we pray, we often pray with an expectation of what we're praying for. If you're sick, you're praying with an expectation to be healed. If you're in a tight circumstance in life, you're praying for an expectation to somehow be delivered from that and I think we all can relate if we've prayed those kind of you know um foxhole prayers to just long just repetitive prayers for the same thing over and over and we've all experienced what feels like can be a silence from God says like are are you hearing me God like there's a lot of scripture that says that you do here, that you've responded in all these amazing ways in maybe my family's and my friend's life or in the scripture. You've done amazing things when I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm just getting nothing here. I mean, how many psalms are there that have those kind of words? God, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to you. My hands are outstretched. My, my bed is covered with my tears and yet I feel that you have forsaken me. I want to argue this morning, could it be that God does respond to our prayers, but we're missing it because we often bring our own expectations to prayer, and then when He does respond, we all we can say is, "I don't, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't see Him working. Where is He?" But He's saying, I, "I'm, I'm right here in front of you. You don't see me." I'm going to look at a story in Israel's life when that was the case, and we're ultimately going to look at how Jesus brings um, the ultimate. Uh, culmination of our search and prayer to where we have a a true and steady foundation of prayer for the rest of our days to always be praying with hope and with confidence and we're going to work our way there but first exodus chapter 16 a little before i read this a little setup here this is about 45 days after the event of the Red Sea. If you know that story, Israel had been in bondage for about 430 years in the land of Egypt. They were freed uh, by miraculous you know, plagues that were done. And, you know, If you know the story, if you grew up in any kind, you know, you're probably somewhat familiar with this story. They hit the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. His Pharaoh's army dies as the water comes over. They've been miraculously delivered from Egypt. And now the first stop... After being promised by, you know, through the burning bush, God told Moses, tell your people, I will bring them to this promised land filled with milk and with honey. But the first stop after the deliverance of the Red Sea is the wilderness. Now, when you think of wilderness, as you read this story, uh, I've had the privilege of walking in this wilderness. It's not like, you know, for when I was a kid, I used to read these stories and think wilderness was like a forest, you know, like the wilderness. This is a a desert-like cracked ground, Okay, when like you see cracks everywhere, there's maybe a little stringy bush over here and just rocky brown mountains all around you. There's the only you know life you see is just these really lame greenery and bushes that's thorny and there's there's nothing here. It's not a place you want to get stuck in for very long, all right? And this is the first place that they are brought to after being delivered and promised that they're being brought to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're standing in a desert. And it's now day 45 in the desert. God provided water, Exodus 15. You can read that story. But where's the food? Let's read this together. This is the word of the Lord, beginning of verse 1, chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between... Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. The word prayer is not here, right? And we cannot justify their grumbling. Okay, we know it's sinful. But God, it was to See, God heard them. Even in their complaining, they are reaching out to God. They're against God, as we'll see, but they're still reaching out to God. And God hears them immediately. Listen to the next verse here. Okay, they're grumbling, they're complaining. It's not justified, but this is the gracious mercy of our Lord that even when we complain in an unrighteous manner to God, and he's like, you, you just, really? Like, I just delivered you from Egypt. I just got you through a Red Sea. I uh, split the waters. You walked on dry ground. I literally just turned bitter water into sweet water in a miraculous manner just like yesterday or however, a few days, you know, before this. And here you are once again complaining and he's like, I- I'm, I'm going to respond, though, because I am gracious and I love you. And this is what he says in the very next verses. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I don't care how, many, how familiar you are with this story, just back up. like Think about that crazy statement, okay? Bread's going to fall from the sky. Like what goes through your mind when you think about that? Like loaves of like bread? Like what? It's like every this is a crazy thing he just said. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they're to prepare what they may be what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much. As they gather on the other days, so on the Sabbath they aren't gathering. So God hears their prayer and he says, I want to answer their prayer, but I really know their true need. Their true need isn't so much only food. They, they're missing me. They're missing the God who just saved them from all of their bondage after century after century, and they're still missing me. I need to put them in the place here before I bring them to the land of milk and honey to where they truly know who I am. I'm going to test them to see if they trust me or not. I will give you bread from heaven, says the Lord, but just enough for every day. Not too much. Just enough for every day. You know, uh, in America often, you know, like last night we were at this pool party thing and there was a buffet of food and it was just never ending. And you know how those things go. You eat, you know you're full, but you're like, there's still more mac and cheese. And I mean, if I don't eat it, like what happens to the mac and cheese? You start playing through that scenario. So before you know it, there's a whole plate of mac and cheese and then plate number three, right? And you know how that goes. We're used to, we can be used to that in our country, but God is putting this people, after promising them a, a land of milk and the honey, he says, just enough food for every day. Do you, are you going to trust me for tomorrow? Are you going to trust me that it'll, it'll come down again tomorrow? How much do you trust me? Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 gives us insight here. He says he did this, but with a, just enough for every day, to teach Israel that mankind, that humankind cannot live by bread alone. They need something more than just bread alone. This is, this is really hard for these Israelites. These, these were an agricultural people. This is a day when farming was the way that you lived, right? And um, farmers don't go out every day to pick food out every single day because once winter hits you'll have nothing right the whole idea of farming is storing up for the next year getting enough crops and you know uh, uh, measuring them out and storing them up you know wisely for uh, the appropriate sustenance throughout the year and to be told just enough for every day this would be very hard because starvation was real in the ancient times right food was not in abundance like it is today this would be very hard for them And we're going to continue on deeper here in a minute. We're going to keep moving, though. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord, it was Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. And so as we're gonna see God um, he, he often answers our grumbling and our prayers in unexpected ways. We're going to go deep into that in a second. But here's the first thing that we see that God in prayer, if we, when we lump out to prayer, when we lurch out to prayer for God, we say, Lord, we, we need you. we our rope's end. rope send. We need help. There's a couple of things that happen in this that in order to fully understand our expectations before God, God, he, he needs to guide us to see his glory first and foremost to remind us of the God that we are praying to. Here, God guides and sustains us and he answers our prayers that we may see his glory. I want you um, uh, um, to consider this. For most of us, when we see the glory of the Lord, it was, I don't have my verses here, um, right here, uh, In I don't know, what verse it was here i copied and pasted and have my uh the verses but it says he brought us out of egypt in the morning he says you will see in the morning the glory of the lord for most of us when we see the glory of god that's kind of like a euphemism right Uh, not many people in scripture even saw you know the glory of god in the ways that israel did in this passage he was guiding them in the in the wilderness through smoke right and during the day and through fire at night. If you really look at the whole of Scripture, not many people like Isaiah saw these visions of grandeur of God actually on his throne. These were rare occasions, right? These are rare occurrences to actually see the glory of God in such a vivid manner. For most of us, to see the glory of God is more akin to Elijah on that mountaintop, where that thin silence, that whisper appears when we're looking for something dramatic and God is really there all along, right? As we said, it wasn't only the bread that they needed. They needed to see God. They were praying out for food. And he's like, first, they're gonna see my glory. First, they need to know that they need me. When is the last time that you truly felt the presence of God or were even still enough in God's presence to feel his glory? Presence. When is the last time? Is your mind so busy? Are you so occupied with screens and with distractions and with are you able to sit down in one spot for longer than five minutes without just having to pull this thing out and keep pulling this thing out and pulling this thing out? Right? You'd be amazed. There's little it tells you how many times you pick up your phone throughout the day, be amazed at how big that number can be. Right? Are you able to sit long enough, even before you pray and utter a word to God, just to say, I'm in your presence. Lord, help me to know that you are before me. Help me to know that you are with me in order to guide my prayers in an appropriate and helpful manner, in order that my expectations of prayer may be based on whom you are. When is the last time you sat in his presence and just soaked it up and was quiet enough to listen to him? There's more going on here as we um, uh, work through guiding here in prayer. The scripture continues, While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will know that I am the Lord your God. So what does prayer do for us? How are we we to properly get our expectations aligned to prayer? We need to know and, and, and ask to see his glory and to know that his presence is among us. But listen to what he said. You have to read carefully here. Listen to this. At twilight, you will eat meat. He told them, you're going to also have meat, which if you look at numbers, I think it's 11. If this is the same event, that wasn't really a good thing. I'll just let you read numbers 11. I think it's probably the same event. But bread will fall, meat will fall, and you will know that I am the Lord, your God. God sustains us and guides us and answers our prayers in order that we may know that he is our God. It's one thing to know that he is God. It's another thing to know that he is your God. You see that little nuance there? wasn't enough for, they knew who Yahweh was. They knew who God was. They saw amazing things, but they were still missing the reality that he was their God. The question is always standing before us. Do you know about God? Or do you know God? I can know a lot of things about my wife. I can know her, her favorite meal and her favorite thing to do and how she, you know, my best way to serve her on my days off is just to take the kids out of the house and give her an empty house to do whatever she wants to do, right? I can learn all these things about my wife that is good for her, but do I know her or do I just know about her? If we miss this, when we go to God in prayer and he starts responding, these are the things that if we don't understand, we're gonna miss how he works in our life. I wanna keep working through this story. A couple of things. God is not your servant. He is not a genie in the bottle that you rub here, right? He is your God, which means... That you need him more than you need bread. You can have all the bread, all of the health, all of the money, and all the things in the world that we so often come to God in prayer for. Yet the greatest thing that we need is God himself. We can have all of those things and realize it is not enough. Ecclesiastes 3 says that eternity has been placed in our hearts and all those things will still, that we often go to God in prayer and yearning for, even if he were to get them, it still wouldn't be enough. And God still begs the question, look, are you, are you really looking after me? Are you searching after me? Or are you just searching for things that you think that you need or think that you want? Are you really looking for me? And those are the things that these, this story kind of begs for us. I'm not a fan of, of some of the, the, the theology that says that God um, wants, he, he does, he, he loves to bless us, he loves to give good things to his children, right? But so often when we read those verses, we like to define what those good things are. We like to, in our minds already, have an understanding to say, I, I, I know what's good for me, so God, give me that good thing. And God is saying, did you stop to ask for a minute, minute that maybe I have a different definition of, of good? Did you stop to maybe pause and say, are, 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 are you God? Do you remember the whole, you know, uh, uh, Genesis chapter three, when, when I said this tree of knowledge, of good and evil is not good for you. And then you were tempted to look at the fruit and say, that's good, Right? Do you come to God thinking that you know what's best for yourself and you're asking God to give that to you? And if he were to give you anything else, that it would somehow, it would, it would be not an answer to prayer. The posture, rather, should be, God, you know what's best. You know what's good. I'm willing for you to, to be God. I'm willing for you to work as you need to work. And this is in stark difference from the Israel we see as they wander here in the wilderness they're missing God and God is trying to give him them himself before he gives them this bread they need to know that he is God and the last thing is once he finally responds, right, Is he's working to align our hearts to a proper attitude of prayer and, and a yearning for God himself, when he does respond, he often responds in very unexpected ways. This, this kind of is a funny story, but I think we can all relate. Listen to this. The story continues. That evening, quail came up and covered the camp. It's, it's best, the best we can do with that is that this is kind of a one-time event. The quail was not a continual occurrence. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost, frosty flakes was everywhere on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, "What is this?" For they did not know what it was. The Hebrew really is even simpler, just means "what?" That's what it, that's what it literally means. Moses said to them, This is a bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs, taken over from each person you have in your tent. Now, God is raining down bread from heaven. When I was in college, I worked at Panera Bread. Any Panera Bread fans? There we go. There we go. Asiago cheese. You know what's up. All right, the sourdough. You know, the focaccia. It's great. I used to—I was the opener and I would be on the way out with the uh, overnight chef, and just the smell of that hot bread, it was just like—the entire place was full of it every morning. I get there like at 5 o'clock, and it was just—oh, it was amazing, right? Now, if if God started raining down bread from heaven, in my mind, I'd be thinking of the Osceago loaves falling from the sky, right? I would have a lot of expectations of the kind of bread that I wanted, Right? When we pray, we have those similar expectations of what we're looking for, but often when he responds, we're also the ones staring down at the ground saying, what? I prayed. You gave me something here. You gave me a response, but I'm not recognizing what I'm looking at. This is not, I don't think this is what I prayed for, God. What is this? And there's Israel staring at the ground. And it took Moses to say that you were just complaining. This is what God gave you, Right? It's not what you expected, but he gave it to you, and it's going to sustain you. Just get enough for today. Do you trust him? It's not the sourdough rolls fresh from the oven, no, but it's bread. Do you trust him? Are you willing to let go of your own expectations before him and say, God, whatever you please, you know best, Lord, make me aware of you and of the the God that you are and the ways that you work, that I may recognize your work in my life and accept it for what it is. I know there's mysteries of prayer. I know that when we pray, Like, things change. And I don't care how, you know, intelligent or how you want to, you know, systematize all of Scripture to put God in these little boxes. Prayer always bursts those boxes apart. I believe that God in his sovereignty has destined, you know, everything before us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. But there are plenty of times when it says in the Bible, God changes his mind. I don't know, through prayer. Happened with Moses on a couple of occasions um, in other instances. And it's confusing. I don't know how prayer works, but in the way, you know, it's, it's kind of comforting. Because I want God to be bigger than me. Like, I want God. I, I desire Him. I surely hope that He is bigger than what my finite mind can process and understand when it comes to His work in my life. And it causes me to have an even greater faith and an even greater hope that says, yes, I don't understand what's going on, but there's a good God who does. And I'm going to cling to the, even the mysteries of what he is doing in my life, knowing there is something good in this because he is a good God. And I have hope that he is working for my good. We're going to keep working here. The Israelites, they did as they were told. Some gathered much, and some gathered little. And when they measured out by the Omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed, and then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Now, this is a hard process, I'm aware, and sometimes we trip and stumble along the way. Sometimes we, we get tripped up. Right? We, we, we know these things are true. We, we desire all the things we're talking about to be real in our life, but sometimes we still screw up. Sometimes we, you know, God gives us something and we just want to reject it, right, and go our own path, and we trip, and we, this Israel did as well. Listen to this. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust it would be, it would be there in the morning. Like, just in case I'm going to shove some man in my pocket, you know, just in case, because it might not be there tomorrow. And they looked in their pockets, and there was maggots, right? And it stunk. So Moses got angry with them. Keeps going. each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when, they, when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, <clears throat> two omers for each person, as they were told. So Sabbath, no work on the Sabbath. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And so they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded. It did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground. Six days you are to gather, the seventh, the Sabbath. There will not be any. Nevertheless... Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And then Yahweh said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone has to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one goes out. So the people rested on the seventh day." Prayer is the place where we are refined. And God's responses to us throughout the process of prayer is kind of like our furnace of sanctification as we grow to trust more and trust more on God himself. We see Israel kind of flailing about, learning this the hard way. God says to you, trust me, there'll be bread tomorrow. I, uh, I'm just gonna put some in here. It's like, uh, okay, okay, look. So on the sixth day, you just get twice as much because the next day, no bread's coming. You're good, right? You'll be fine. And some are like, I don't know. I don't know, I get up and, is there any bread out there? And God's like, ah, guys, come on. Do you know me? Do you see me? My glory is in front of you, my presence is with you. I've responded, I've given you bread. What do what you, what are, you're missing me trust on me is that you this morning do you do you see yourself in these israelites and you see your own flailing about and god is working in your life you're still kind of flailing and he's saying no no this is just stop stop do you trust me is that you this morning maybe some of you this morning need to wrestle with god you ever wrestled with god like legit just got you on your knees and just you just fought it out With him, there's stories of Martin Luther during the height of the Reformation when he kind of almost accidentally set the world on fire through preaching doctrines of of grace and the gospel, trying to restore an understanding of what the scriptures say. And they say he used to be um, in this lower room where he would just talk out loud to God and also to Satan, just back and forth for seemingly hours, just in dialogue. And sometimes it was heightened voices and whispering and just people were listening to think, is this guy going crazy? Like, is he? Maybe he's lost his mind. And Luther was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting it out with God. I'm having a hard time and I'm wrestling like I'm being honest with God and I'm going toe to toe and I'm, I'm wrestling with him. If you're struggling this morning, maybe you need to get in a bit of a wrestling match with God to, to be honest with him, to tell him why you're struggling. Sometimes honesty in prayer is a healing route for the heart. Because if you're like Israel and you're lacking in a faith, but you know the right religious thing to do, which is to look a certain way, yeah, if you're sitting with praying with your Christian friends, but you know internally you're just like withering away and just doubts, but you're like, but I, I know the right Christian words to use, so I'm going to say it. People will know that like I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to like not deal with that right now, right? That's a, that's a game that we can play sometimes when just straight up honesty is the best option, right? Because God knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. And he was trying to surface it. Like whatever's happening that's causing you to struggle is actually his handiwork. And he's trying to shape you and mold you like, a, like a, that Play-Doh, right? And just to shape you into his image and say, look, look, are you gonna be honest and deal with this stuff? Because I want you to be like me. Like I want you to love me more than anything else in your life and I am deeply just like working, just grabbing hold of you right now. Are you gonna let me do my work or will you keep fighting against me? Jesus is actually an example here. The Son of God himself is an example of how to wrestle with God in prayer. Matthew twenty six, thirty-eight, the night before he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Sometimes we think of Jesus as this kind of at the movie show, this usually just happy, you know, guy who was, you know, deep eyes and kind of always kinda grinning, and you know. He was a human just like us. Listen to him the night before he's arrested, the night before he is to bear the sins of the world on his shoulders. He says this: "My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death." He's talking to his disciples. He says, "Remain here, stay awake with me." But they kept dozing off and falling asleep. And he goes out a little farther, Jesus. It says, he threw himself down with his face to the ground, desperation and prayer. Listen to this. And he prayed, My Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I will, but you, what you will. And once again, he found his disciples asleep and he rebuked them. And then we get some more honesty from Jesus. Right? He, he, he tells he says, Guys, stay awake. And pray that you don't fall into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing. Listen to these honest words. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then twice more, he went away and he prayed to God. Twice more, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. What a different attitude than the flailing, complaining, grumbling Israelites in the wilderness. Right? Perhaps they're being honest, but they weren't really seemingly concerned about God's will. Jesus wasn't grumbling or complaining, he was being honest. He was wrestling with God, even apparently expressing conflicts with his will versus God's will. There's mystery there. I know, he's a son of God. How can that be the case? Well, he's struggling. Right, His spirit's willing, he's in skin and bones just like us And the weakness of what it means to be human has just enraptured him He's very aware at this point of his frailty and death facing him and he says, God, this is going to be really hard As there may be some other way But ultimately, I want what you want Ultimately, I want what you want And I am willing, God This is honesty in prayer I want to talk about the basis of that prayer though As we seek to close here in the next few minutes. What basis today do we have to express to God, yet not what I will, but what you will? What basis do we have to trust that? Yeah, We talked about God's goodness. I've talked about a lot of things that maybe we know to be true. I want to dig in deep into Jesus himself and to show you of the magnificence of the the confidence available to us that these things are true in those deepest, darkest moments when we're praying and things seem confused and we don't understand what's going on, that we still have such reason to hope in those circumstances. You see, God asked Israel to bottle up manna for future generations to know what happened in the wilderness, to know how God provided for them in the wilderness. This is what the story ends with. It says, the people of Israel called the bread manna. They called it what? just kind of funny, right? It was like white, like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. I'm telling you, it's frosted flakes. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so that they may see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron, they took a jar and put manna in it and placed it before the Lord for the ark, for the generations To come. And the Lord commanded Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that they ate manna. That was, uh, they ate manna until they reached Canaan until the very last day. So that bottle of manna is no longer with us, right? The ark, we don't know where it is, the manna, um, no longer with us. Because God has something better for us as a testimony of his bread that we need. God has something better in mind to display of his work for generations to come that was much more sure and firm than a bottled up, um, you know, flakes from thousands of years ago. Fascinating conversation, John chapter 6. Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fish, he was asked and being pressured for those who were fed to say, give us, give us some more signs. Like, that was sweet, Jesus. Like, he just multiplied a couple of things to feed thousands of people. Like, what are you, Moses or something? Right? And actually, Exodus 16 is quoted in John chapter 6. They say, like, Moses gave us bread to eat in the wilderness. And they quote Exodus 16. So listen, if you're dozing off, wake up. This is the important part. If you haven't tracked with us, this is the part you got to pay attention. Jesus told him in John chapter 6, he says this, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven. It is not Moses who has, past tense, given you the bread from heaven. Look at the tense this but my Father is. There's a present work happening. My Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven... And gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. What a, a great response, right? Like they come seeming kind of wanting to fight with Jesus. And he says, no, my father's working. He wants to give you bread right now, the bread of life. He wants to offer it even to the world. And they say, can we have that not just now, but Always. Jesus? You see, Jesus claimed that for his audience that God thousands of years ago, right, or thousands of years after Moses, after the Exodus event, that he was giving better bread than the manna. They asked for that bread all the time. And Jesus said to them, he says, I am the bread of life the one who comes to me will never go hungry the one who believes in me will never be thirsty but I told you that you have seen me and you still do not believe me We have to understand this morning that on the resurrection event, we were praying back in the chapel, I was just reminded of this this morning, the resurrection event, it summons us every Sunday morning. I ask my kids, why don't we go to church on Wednesday morning or Thursday morning? And my kids know the answer. They say, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning. It summons us because on that morning, on that resurrection event, God was vindicated. He showed us, he says, all the things that I have said to you, they're real, they're true, because I just conquered. Death. I am alive and alive forevermore. If you have any doubts about me, I walked out of a grave. No human being walks out of a grave. Only God can walk out of a grave. The yearnings of your heart will only be satisfied in Christ. The hungers of your heart that you, in prayer, that you're seeking help and longing just for God to, it it can only be satisfied in Christ. The thirsty longings of your soul can only be satisfied in Christ. And even through our grumbling and our complaining and in our doubts because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and his present work of the Holy Spirit in this world and throughout history, Paul can say these amazing words in 1 Corinthians 10 in verses 20 through 22 listen to this he says for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus can you guys say that with me for all the promises of God I can't hear you for all the promises of God find their in Jesus amen <clears throat> amen you guys are awake after all that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put also his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a down payment. Jesus and his work of his spirit in and among us, in this room, is so much better than the 3,000-year-old jar of manna. Isn't it? He is at work even now. As we close, I'm gonna read you some promises of God that if you're this morning, we're going to pray after this service, and I can call the worship team to uh, come up at this point. I'm going to read some promises of God. Because in the darkest place, if you, if you feel like you're in a wilderness this morning and your prayers are being met with a the, with the brass ceiling and you just don't feel that you see God's work in your life, you have promises. That the resurrection has vindicated as being true, as being real, and will one day assuredly come into our lives, and we have ever reason to continue to pray to say, God, open my eyes to see your work. I must be missing it, Lord. What am I missing? Lord, sustain me through this wilderness, Lord, even if it's a thin layer of bread that, I, that can just bring me from now to the next morning, Lord, that you can sustain me from one morning to the next, Lord, just continue to sustain me. Here's the promises of a God that we have to anchor ourselves to, that in Jesus, they're all yes and amen. Listen to these. This is just some out of hundreds The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, verse 9. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Isaiah 41, verse 13. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 9, verse 10. But God will never forget the needy, the hope of the afflicted, will never perish. Psalm 9, verse 18. Romans eight, twenty-eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. This is one of my favorites, Revelation 21. As John saw the new heavens and new earth coming down to meet, he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, behold. And this day when Christ returns, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So we could go on and on. All of these things are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Couple of questions. Are you full of doubt this morning? Did you walk in here grumbling and complaining? against having a bad hand dealt in life, struggling with what feels like unanswered prayers. Pray to God that he will reveal himself to you this morning through his spirit. Pray for that personal interaction with God himself this morning, and just confirmation to your spirit to show you that he indeed is not just God out there, but he is your God. Cry out to him this morning. Feast on the bread of life that is given to us through the Spirit of God. He is working. And pray that the scales can be removed from your eyes. I want to call up our elders and others um, uh, to come and be available for, for prayer. So you call our elders up. If you need prayer this morning, would you please grab the person next to you? Grab one of the elders up front. If this is you this morning, don't leave until you face these things. Let us pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, we would have no hope in this life. I remember one of the Psalms when David was struggling and he was just being honest with you and he says, but what hope? Where else would I look? In you, I have hope. And Lord, that is us this morning. Lord, as we sing this final song, Lord, as many come up for prayer, as your spirit stirs in this room, Lord, I pray that you would be at work greatly among those who need you this morning in this room. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection. What has saved us and given us hope every day. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: I've heard a thousand stories Of what they think you're like But I've heard the tender dead of night you tell me that you're pleased at that i'm never alone you're a good upon you and give you peace in Jesus name